One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ruler Long Reads, the finest long-form cycling features and stories from Ruler magazine. Brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. They've transformed traditional insurance to provide customers with a fairer, collective-driven approach to cycle insurance. Say goodbye to fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your maximum monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. And they have some big news. Lacquer will be running its first ever crowdfunding campaign and offering equity for the pack. Cyclists have helped Lacquer bring a much better model of insurance to the masses. That's why they want to invite you to join the ride. They're pleased to be able to give Ruler listeners the opportunity to own a part of Lacquer. You can invest in the future of Lacquer from as little as £10 and become a huge part of their collective. To register and to find out more about Lacquer's crowdfunding campaign, head to lacquer.co. Remember when investing your money is at risk, this announcement was approved by Cedars. Tadeus Hrobel by Johannes Schweikel, read by Emma Wright. Daredevil speed merchant, track racer and German superstar from the early 20th century, Hrobel met a predictably tragic end, but not on a bicycle. The story of Germany's first sporting hero. A coach holds the handlebars, but the rider sitting on the bike probably belongs in bed. Above his dark eyebrows is a thick white bandage, white as a turban. Whether he's capable of seeing out of his left eye at all is up for debate. In this old photo, bandages can also be spotted on his left elbow and left hip, not to mention something or other covering his knee. A little after the photograph was taken, a German newspaper published this announcement. Ignoring the injuries he sustained in Whit Sunday in Magdeburg, world champion Robel took to the start line Whit Monday, June 1st, 1903, in Brandenburg. He won both the 10km and the 50km in his typical fashion, decisively demonstrating the superiority of his new, invincible Corona bicycle. The announcement went on to note that Despite the bad crash in Magdeburg, the Corona machine stayed entirely undamaged. The rider's bones weren't quite as sturdy. During his career, Tadeusz Robel broke his collarbone nine times. Later, he fractured his skull. I don't have a piece of my original skin left, the cyclist once quipped. But his numerous accidents only added to his reputation. Robel was the first rock star of the German sporting world, a category he shares with the likes of Max Schmeling, Franz Beckenbauer, and Michael Schumacher. Before World War I, 
Whenever he appeared in a cycling arena in Berlin, Munich or Paris, 40,000 fans would attend. Beneath his helmet, Hubel kept his dark hair neatly parted. He came across as Mediterranean and always wore immaculate, neatly fitted jerseys. He was slender, with a long face and thin legs, attributes that made him a crowd favourite. He didn't exude vitality, but always gave it his all. The fans in Berlin greeted him with the battle cry, Taddy Feste, Taddy Strong. Robel was born in 1877 in Bavaria. As a child, he contracted typhoid fever and was partially crippled. Until the age of nine, he was driven to school in a haycart. Doctors recommended that the boy should ride a bike to aid his recovery, which he did with steely discipline. At the age of 14, as an apprentice cabinet maker, Robel fell ill again and the doctor's advice this time suggested he pursue a career in the open air. Laying paving stones became his new way of making a living, while cycling continued to play a part in his recovery. Robel joined the newly formed cycling club Isserhal in Munich at the age of 17, much against his father's wishes, and turned professional two years later. Another two years in the pro ranks, and then came Robel's big breakthrough, third place in the 560-kilometre-long Bordeaux-Paris one-day classic. Despite this success, the rapidly improving distance racer decided to focus on the track, motor paced being his speciality. He participated against an international field of competitors in the 100-mile race in Berlin in 1900, beating the favourites Harry Elks of the USA and Albert E. Walters of Great Britain, and set a new best distance for the hour world record the following year, 65.51 kilometres. If that sounds impressive... The Germans smashed the record five years later, covering a mind-boggling 91.89 kilometres behind a motorbike fitted with a huge windshield to shelter behind. Frenchman Paul Greenall raised the bar again to 101.623 kilometres in 1909. Cycling was already an international sport, and Robel's exploits reflected this. He was a two-time world champion, spoke English and French fluently, and had even raced in Australia. The story of Robel reflects the early history of competitive cycling. No lofty, noble ideals of the Olympian amateur for him. There was a living to be made, and riders were marketing tools for the cycling industry. The Corona Company printed postcards depicting an imposing factory with smoking chimneys beside a list of Robel's wins. Their bikes came with special head tube badges inscribed, Original Tadeus Robel Model. Cyclists were looked upon as heroes of the day, obliged to show off their athletic prowess and provide entertainment for the paying spectators. The track became the stage for a variety of curious attractions. Bike riders competed against horses. During intervals between the races, athletes played a brand new sport in the track's infield that would never catch on. Football. Hobel was happy to be the showman, performing on a roller coaster style loop erected in the track centre in Berlin hammering down the slender launch ramp without guardrails before careering up and over, hoping to have enough momentum not to crash to the ground. Stuntman or not, Tadeus Robel was the consummate professional. He had autograph cards printed and employed a masseuse and two pairs of pace setters, while his manager, Hans Kubandner, successfully took care of business. Robel was able to buy a house for his widowed mother north of Munich, which we visited in the company of local Munich historian Martin Schreck, who has a private archive lovingly dedicated to the first star of German sport. Schreck holds an old photo in his hand, 
and matches it against the house before us, pointing up to the white façade. A hundred years ago, Villa Paddy was printed on the pediment. Now there's just a window there. Rob learned a lot, said the historian. He earned 50,000 marks in 1906. At that point in history, a train engineer had to be content with 2,200 marks. In 1905, Robel published a book titled Der Radrennsport, Road Cycling. In it, he writes, in an offhand manner, about the financial prospects of a professional cyclist. In road cycling, as in no other profession, the talented amateur has the ability to, rather easily and without tedious work, earn large sums. Without envy, he reported that his English rival, Jimmy Michael, became a millionaire through cycling. The mistakes of early professional athletes mirror those of many of their football-playing modern equivalents. The rapidly acquired wealth of Michael carelessly frittered away and gambled at the racetrack. But Robel defended his rival against a moralistic public. A man who subjects himself to years of intense physical work cannot live like a minor city official. He needs distractions and demands a way of living that is grand, not needlessly austere. Robel was no ascetic mile-cruncher and certainly enjoyed the finer things in life. He afforded himself the luxury of a car, in which he drove to the casinos in Monte Carlo. Pictures of him outside the track show an elegant man, here in a three-piece suit complete with choker and tie, there in a cummerbund with a pocket watch on a chain. He appointed a tailor in London. He wore silk underpants. He was jovial, loved to pose, and was popular with the ladies. Supposedly, a baroness from Starnberg proposed to him, but he rejected her advances. He came to be associated with the lascivious demimonde, and a cartoon of the period depicts Robel in training for the half-world championship, one woman in an extravagant plumed hat draped over him, a second woman watching placidly, and on the table, a rose and two glasses of champagne. In his book, Thaddeus Robel offers young riders advice. He writes that a young athlete must slowly develop his body. He shows how to gradually increase the training workload in the spring, explains why squats and gymnastics are important. He contrasts the pros and cons of various diets and compiles special menus for both vegetarians and meat-eaters. As though a cartoon of him drinking champagne never existed, he innocently writes, My advice is, avoid alcohol in every form. The master advises against the use of cigarettes, but isn't severe. Whoever is a friend of smoking should smoke one or two a day, and should choose a light brand. Advertisements appear at the end of the book, one for a freewheel hub, another for a recovery product. Cola pastillin restore you after training, no tiredness, no headaches. Robel celebrated his biggest successes in motor-paced cycling, this discipline stated the need for speed in the industrial age and, perhaps inevitably, developed rapidly. Five-seater machines provided the requisite slipstream. The pace setters, paid by their various factories, are dressed identically with the names of their factory printed on the uniforms, Robel writes. When the five pace setters take a lap on their gigantic machine before the race begins, they present an impressive picture and a not unimpressive piece of propaganda. In Berlin in 1898, a motorcycle set the pace for cyclists for the first time. The overall speed on the track increased, as did the danger. Some of Robel's competitors sustained fatal injuries, as drivers lost control and the machines skidded into the crowds. Robel, the daredevil, recognised how dangerous the sport had become. 
The majority of German tracks, with their insufficiently banked curves, don't allow for full speeds. The first European six-day race was held in Berlin in 1909. The Prussian crown prince visited on the fourth day of the event, and at his wish, the race was interrupted for Robel to parade around the track behind a pace-setting machine. At the age of 29, Robel became the European champion once again, but younger men were coming through. It was time for a change of career. He participated in automobile speed tests and was hired by the Opel Car Company as a master driver. But soon enough, the speed junkie found a more effective way to go faster. The cyclist stepped into the cockpit. He's shown in an illustration testing seats on a right biplane. At the Berlin six-day, flyers were handed out. Taddy Robel flies. His aeroplane is on display on the first floor. Robel himself or his manager are on hand to explain how to operate the machine. Before World War I, the first air shows were the most spectacular of attractions. On June 18, 1910, 12,000 fans gathered in Stettin to see the superstar fly. A gusty wind blew over the coast of the Baltic Sea. A mechanic advised against takeoff, but as the audience grew restless and started whistling, Robel took off. After only a few minutes, he lost control of the biplane. A contemporary account describes the tragedy. The entire apparatus was whipped around like a spinning top, and with a cannon-like crack, collapsed. A photo shows a scrap heap with a jumble of wires and broken beams. A man in uniform stands next to a bicycle in the background. Robel's body was taken to Munich, where thousands formed the funeral cortege. Today, at the old cemetery, ivy-covered trees form a canopy above the graves, and a tall wall dampens the sounds of nearby traffic. Historian Schreck kneels before a moss-covered gravestone and lays a stack of leaflets near an eternal flame. It's something he does regularly, so that people can still learn about the first star of German sport. Schreck is proud of Robel's enduring story. The idol even gave the German language a new word. Twenty years after Robel's death, German youth didn't talk about bicycling. They said Robling, as in, come on, let's go Robling through the streets. Today in Munich, a street is named after Thaddeus Robel. Small houses stand on one side. On the other, a noise barrier helps deaden the persistent sound of traffic. An old grandfather picks his granddaughter up from kindergarten on a bike. She wears a purple helmet. Not far from here was the track where Robel celebrated his many triumphs. Once it was the fastest track in the world. Now there is no trace remaining. But in a strange way, the quest for speed is still being pursued on that very spot. Today, it is the home of BMW's Development Centre. You've been listening to Thaddeus Hörbel by Johanna Schweikel, read by Emma Wright from issue 40 of Rouleur magazine. Subscribe at rouleur.cc. Now then, here's an infomercial message for the discerning folk of Rouleurland. For the finest long-form cycling journalism and exquisite photography and design, why don't you simply subscribe to Rouleur magazine? It costs as little as £7 per month. Regular columnists include Orla Shenwi, Roman Bardet and me, Ned Bolting, accompanied by features from the best writers and photographers in the business. Simply go to rouleur.cc. You know it makes sense. <laughs>